Hi, I'm Arturo. And I'm Armando. Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast, the show where we hear the stories of incredible people shaping the heartbeat of the SCU community. From students and professors to local leaders and beyond, join us as we immerse ourselves in the Voices of Santa Clara, making waves and creating change. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We hope you're having a fantastic quarter out there. Today, we'll hear from Mr. Dylan Houle, who became the Executive Director of Career and Professional Development at the SEU Career Center about a year and a half ago. Dylan began his professional journey as an English teacher in the New York area before transitioning into the field of career services. From Assistant Director roles at Pace University and USF to his most recent position at Menlo College, as the Executive Director of Internships and Career Services, Dylan continues to raise the bar for what it means to lead a career center. You can further explore his insights through the podcast he hosts, linked below entitled Career Services Leadership in Higher Education. Our conversation with Dylan covers a lot. We talk about his past experiences and advice he has for students currently looking for a job or internship, plus what to do when you land that opportunity. This really was a great discussion that you don't want to miss, so let's do it. Cool. Alrighty, Dylan, I'm very excited to get to talk to you. Um, let's start off with the early chapter of your life. Um, are there any events from your childhood or student years that stick out in shaping who you are today? Thank you, Arturo. Yes, um, there's a couple of, of um, events in my early life. The first one, just to throw it way back, when I was six uh, and a half years old, uh, I remember my dad bursting into my first grade classroom and uh, talking to my teacher and then whisking me out. And we drove to the hospital uh, where I met my new baby brother, Dustin. That's a formative memory for me because it's when I became an older brother. And being an older brother is a big part of my identity. Um, from my student years, I remember the feeling of driving up to San Francisco State University, uh, where I went for undergraduate in 2003, and seeing all of the students and parents moving into the dorms and being overwhelmed by, I would... I would articulate it as a sense of possibility, seeing all of these new people, hundreds, if not uh, thousands of people on campus on move-in day, and just being awed by the fact that I was going to have the opportunity to meet them all. I was going to be living with them all, and I was going to be making friends with them and maybe making frenemies with them and uh, just seeing my world expand so much from being... Uh, from a mid-sized town, Vacaville, California, to going to the big city of San Francisco, living in a dorm room with hundreds of other people, and just having all my senses my senses awakened to what the next four years were going to be like and the possibilities and the opportunities. It was really exciting. And working in higher education, uh, I still have some of that feeling today at the start of every school year. I remember that that feeling. And uh, when I look out at the students coming to Santa Clara to move in day, I know that they're probably feeling something similar, and it's always very exciting for me. You talk about your brother being one of your formative moments. Same. I have a younger brother, one of my best friends for sure. Um, as college students, I think a lot of times we're so anxious about the next 
10, 15 years, the highs and the lows that are going to happen. On the SU website, it mentions that your career path has not been a straight line. It, there's probably been highs. I'm sure there's been lows. Can you elaborate on what those high highs were and what those low lows were and how you've gotten through that um, over time? Thank you, Armando. That's a great question. Um, to tell you a little bit about my career path, I, in senior year, was uh, given the superlative in the high school yearbook, most likely to become a teacher. And I went to SF State, got a bachelor's degree in English, and then I went to New York City and got a master's degree in teaching uh, through a program called the New York City Teaching Fellows, which is where you go to school at night and you teach during the the day and the state subsidizes your graduate degree. So they pay a portion of the cost of your graduate degree um, for a two-year commitment from you that you'll teach in a, a high-needs school. And I did that. I taught one year in uh, Manhattan High School and one year in Brooklyn Middle School. And <laughs> I realized after two years of teaching in New York City, I did not want to be a teacher. And so that was my first introduction to what I had laid out as a career plan, not actually working. And I remember leaving teaching on good terms. I had done well, but I just realized it wasn't for me. I left teaching and I took six months off and really just engaged in self-exploration, did uh, informational interviews, talked with friends, also just relaxed and reflected on you know, what was it I liked about teaching and what was it I didn't like about teaching? To make a long story short, I liked the reading and writing of being an English teacher. I didn't like the classroom management, the telling the students to sit down, uh, the discipline, um, all of those types of, of, of the parts of being a middle school teacher uh, specifically was not enjoyable to me. So I leaned into some writing uh, jobs, things that I could leverage my writing skills, my reading skills, etc. And I became a certified professional resume writer with a company called The Ladders. And they're still around today. They're kind of similar to Indeed.com or Monster.com um, for high-level jobs. $100,000 jobs and up was their value proposition at the time. And I wrote a thousand resumes over the course of that year for everyone from CEOs to former football players to college graduates. And most of these people were getting their resume rewritten because they were in a period of career transition themselves. Uh, that's when you that's when you rewrite your resume, certainly when you pay a professional to do it because you've either been laid off or you're looking for a promotion. Um, and in those discussions, I ended up asking a lot of questions around, well, what are your goals to my clients? What are your goals? How do all of these positions relate to one another? Uh, how do they build on one another? Um, where do you want to go next? Uh, what skills do you most want to use? And of course, if you ask those questions enough, you start asking them of yourself. And so I was thinking, um, I remember thinking, like, what am I going to do with as a professional resume writer? This is not going to be a, a career. Um, it, it'd be difficult to make a career of it. There's a lot of professional resume writers out there. And mo for most of them, it's um, it's a hustle. It's a hustle for sure. So I was like, I have a um, certification in resume writing and I have a master's degree in teaching. 
instead of just ignoring the fact that I have a master's degree in teaching and trying to build a, a new career out of thin air, how can I find the relationship between these two things? How can I leverage my teaching experience and my resume writing experience? So if I look at the Venn diagram of that, it dawned on me, I can teach people how to write resumes. Who does that? Like where in, who would pay me to do that? And through some research uh, and some reflection, it, it also dawned on me again, higher ed, career centers, career services offices. They teach students how to write resumes. Maybe I can work in one of those offices. So I did informational interviews um, throughout the tri-state area, which is you know New York and, and Jersey and, and Pennsylvania. And uh, Pace University gave me an informational interview, which is, uh, for those that are, are not familiar, it's um, not a job interview. It's just you asking questions about that profession. Uh, you're just like doing some research, like how does one get into this line of work? Uh, what does it take to be successful in this line of work, uh, etc. And so Diana Mendez um, gave me an informational interview at Pace University. And I was really um, excited about it because I was like, okay, I think that this is going to work. I can pursue this. And then she called me up a couple of days later and said, you know, we'd like we'd like to have you actually interview for an assistant director position. And so that's how I got into higher ed. And so the, the nonlinear path was thinking I was going to be a high school English teacher, middle school English teacher, realizing that is not actually what I wanted to do once I tried it. And then pivoting to a, a writing job, but trying to find the through line between those two experiences. And that's advice I, I give to, to anyone is always try to connect your different experiences. How does one experience lead to the next? How do they relate to one another? Don't have your resume be a collection of individual random experiences, have a narrative for how all of these things have built or stacked upon one another. So that's a little bit about my career path. And then I went to uh, University of San Francisco after that. I moved back to the West Coast, uh, worked in their alumni office. Then I went to Menlo College, where I served as the executive director. And then I came to Santa Clara University. And uh, that brings us to today, where I have the privilege of talking to you two. Okay, thank you. This is uh, really good for, you know, thinking about my personal resume. <laughs> but um, for those getting to know you, a little fun fact, Dylan, is that you host the Career Services Leadership in Higher Education podcast. Um, you mentioned a question you heard Sue Harbour answer at an event you went to in San Francisco. I was wondering if you could provide an answer. Dylan, what keeps you up at night? A fun fact. Yeah, that is a great question. And... Um... What keeps me up at night is the idea that a student could regret their decision to come to Santa Clara University because they do not feel like they got the support that they needed to have a successful career outcome, whatever that means for that student, um, going to graduate school getting a job that aligns with their major, pays them sufficiently for their lifestyle goals, et cetera. That's what keeps me up at night, making sure that every student 
feels supported by the Career Center, um, that were accessible, and uh, that we helped them. I don't want a student to graduate and feel like uh, that was a lot of money, that was a lot of time, and what did the Career Center do for me? So I'm really, really big on trying to be very visible, uh, making sure the students know about us, know our names, recognize us around campus, uh, and just know that we are here for them and they just need to plug in. We are an opt-in office, meaning there's no requirement to come see us. Uh, so there's a there's always a big push on our end to try and get our get our name out there, get our services out there, try to partner with as many other departments, faculty, student organizations. Um, but because we're not opt-in, because we're opt-in, uh, some students don't choose to see us. And those are the students that I'm always always worried about, making sure that um, that they're that they're not coming to see us because they truly don't need us, which is okay. Maybe they have their own career plan, they have their own social uh, professional network that's helping them. But the student that doesn't come to see us who does need us is the student that keeps me up at night that I want to make sure we reach and help. And Dylan, I'm going to go a little off track here, but I have to ask, since the theme has been so prevalent and everything you've talked about, was there a moment or a person maybe in your younger years um, or even recently that has caused you to want to help students and young leaders so much and make such an impact for them? That's a good question. And I don't know if I could isolate it to a certain person. I think my my early identification of wanting to be a teacher, that um, whatever impulse that is in me, that's that's what you're hearing, right? Wanting to be a mentor, a teacher, supportive, helpful. Um, so whether I do that as a middle school English teacher or whether I do that as the executive director of the career center, the the seed of 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 the impulse is the same, wanting to be helpful. Um, but I don't know if I can isolate it to a specific person, except that uh, it's always been in me, and it's always been something I feel passionate about. I think my own experience of having my own career goals kind of disrupted, self-disrupted by realizing I didn't want to do what I said I wanted to do after I had tried doing it, teaching, uh, that has informed my motivation to help students gain clarity about what they want to do um, as early as possible. So at Menlo College, we had a required internship program, which was incredible because students had to try before you buy. You know, you had to do an internship before you graduated. It's super illuminating. That's not something I did. I didn't do an internship when I was at SF State. I did a few volunteer things here and there, but I never was an, a, a teacher intern or an educational intern uh, where I got a true sense of what the profession was before I committed to a master's degree and, and pursued it as a full-time job. Uh, so those are a couple of things that, that influenced me. Thanks for the question. I mean, throughout the journey, it's obvious your dedication to the career services, right? Um, you've earned awards at, you know, Menlo College. You got your podcast, which we already mentioned. I'm curious, and maybe this can be the pivot point of the interview. Um, 
about what these achievements mean to you now, how you look back on them, and now with your time at SCU, um, how do these achievements impact you moving forward here at SCU? So a couple of things about uh, you know awards and and things of that nature. They're they're great. They're um, uh, they validate what we're doing um, at Menlo College. When I won the award with the California Internship and Work Experience Association, it was it was validating all the work that we do at our own institution to have other professionals in the field recognize it. The podcast, uh, I started that podcast um, because I'm in the EDD program, the Doctorate of Education program here at Santa Clara University. So I am a student too. And um, we were exploring in some of our early classes what leadership is. And I wanted to talk with other leaders of career centers uh, to to get a sense of what their challenges were, how they approach this work, et cetera. And so let me zoom out. When you get an award from a regional or national association or, or, or when you attend a professional association or when you speak with other leaders, whether it be a podcast or just informally, you're gathering intel. The award from other professionals in the field is validation that what you're doing works, which is great, so you know to keep doing it. Your conversations with other leaders gives you tidbits and information for how you can do the work better or get reinforcement on, on some of your ideas. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Are you thinking the same? Okay, good. We've got our, I've got the, my finger on the pulse correctly rather than incorrectly so I don't go veer off doing something that my peers are, are not doing, which is okay to do sometimes. You can be experimental and entrepreneurial and kind of break the mold. Um, so those are those are some of the ways I think about being involved at regional or national levels and getting awards and speaking with other leaders, etc. And here at the Career Center, I'm very proud to say that we have contributed a great deal to the thought leadership of our profession. Um, Vanya Tong, our Assistant Director of Career Development, and Colleen Withers, our Director of, of Career Development, presented at the National Association of Colleges and Employers. Uh, in Orlando on the topic of VMOC and our, our AI resume solutions. We have had uh, Melissa Thierrier uh, present at the Mountain Pacific Association of Colleges and Employers on our Diversity Works Expo. And so getting out there and having, and having other professionals say, we want to hear what you're doing is just, is just great validation and lets, lets us know we're serving our students well because other other professionals in our field are curious and want to replicate or learn more about what we're doing. And at the same time, we learn from them and continue to improve our services. By the way, congratulations on the EDD program. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I hope you learn a lot and have a great experience. Um, for the student audience listening, uh, I think sometimes the, the resume can be a little daunting, a, a little intimidating. For the student who maybe doesn't have a lot on the resume just yet, what are the specific character traits, maybe the soft skills that you would recommend them to have or to develop prior to going into the workforce? Okay, that's a good question. And I just mentioned the National Association of Colleges and Employers, NACE for short. They have um, eight career readiness competencies. 
And these competencies include leadership, teamwork, communication, um, equity and inclusion, and, and four others that I can't remember off the top of my head. But one of the things of the ones that I just uh, referenced, right, is they're not technical skills. They're not Excel, Marketo, or any type of software. They're attributes. They're character, characteristics of a student, um, soft skills, if you will. So I'll, I'll say to students, for one, um, remember that the most important thing to employers is not your technical skills. It's these competencies of teamwork, leadership, communication, um, and understanding of equity and inclusion, being respectful of other people's opinions, etc. And the employer can teach you the rest. Uh, of course, you're here to learn at Santa Clara, so we're going to teach you as well. But employers are most concerned uh, and, and value those characteristics. So uh, we have on our website those NACE competencies, and maybe we can link to it wherever we publish this podcast. But um, look at those competencies and then and then ask yourself, how can I develop those competencies? Uh, so for example, leadership, can you join a student organization? Can you volunteer? Volunteering provides a lot of opportunities for leadership. So if you're early in your in your journey here at Santa Clara University, you're a first year student, um, three three things come to mind very quickly. Join a student organization, find an organization to volunteer with here in the local community. Um, there are tons of partner organizations that we have through our ELSJ classes, which I know students have to uh, enroll in, and then um, explore on-campus jobs. These are all great ways to meet a lot of people and develop some of those competencies early on and start building your resume. A lot of the skills you just mentioned make me think of networking, how to you know display these skills, not the technical side of it. I was wondering if you have any tips or comments um, on networking. Is there a right time to start? I know myself, my first year self, would have a very difficult time networking. I was, I thought it was too early to start. I don't know any pointers. Yeah, absolutely, and and I'll return to that um, that feeling of awe that I had when I moved into San Francisco State University and all the people I was seeing that I knew I was going to meet. That. That was the start of a networking journey, and so what I'll what I'll ref, I want to reframe networking as not just you to professionals or you to people that are uh, more advanced in their career. The minute you move into your dorm room, the minute you go to your first class, you're networking. All of those people, all of those classmates, um, are people that yes, you're befriending, but you're also networking with. And the way I'll, I'll, I'll kind of zoom out on that is we say, you know, you're, you're here for four or five years, maybe two if you're a transfer student, and you're, you're paying for your degree. I would say what you're really paying for when you come to Santa Clara University is you're paying for lifetime access to an extremely powerful and global alumni network. And... Uh, and so don't just think about networking within the context of the four years you're here. This is a network you have lifetime access to. So even after you graduate, you can network. Um, 
both up and down uh, to people younger than you, people older than you. Uh, that's why we ask alumni to come back and do mentorship and volunteering and guest lectures, etc. So anyways, for some tips, uh, you're, you're, there's, there is a right time to start, and that's the, the, when you introduce yourself in class to, to your professor and to your fellow classmates. Um, but of course, what, what you're asking about, I think, is like, how do I network with professionals? And we offer uh, Bronco Exchange, as you know, and that's kind of a LinkedIn network exclusively for people within the Santa Clara University ecosystem. Um, but we also have LinkedIn. There's something called the LinkedIn Alumni Tool where you can filter. Uh, there's almost 89 thousand alumni on LinkedIn. You can filter by geographic region, uh, what they majored in, what company they work for, etc., and start uh, reaching out to them and connecting with them. Alumni are more likely to accept your request than non-alumni. Uh, so those are some those are some ways you can network. Another, uh, I was just talking with uh, a student last week. Connect with all of your professors on LinkedIn connect with me on LinkedIn if we've met, and then go through my network and identify five people you want me to introduce you to. So leverage your close connection, your professor, to get an introduction to a second degree connection. So those are some strategies for, for networking that you can start implementing right away. And if you're not sure who Dylan is on LinkedIn, there's a fantastic smile and a brilliant mustache, so you won't miss it. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the network thing, not just with the professionals, but I think even for myself and uh, my buddy right here, a lot of times we miss that networking is the students we're with currently. It's the professors. I didn't learn this um, until an event at LEAD, and they said, no, no, no. The alumni network is also the people sitting right next to you, and I think a lot of times we forget that, so thanks for bringing it up. Um, the question I have for you is there's so much talk about how to get the inter the internship and why you should get the internship. I don't see a lot of tips for students as to what they should do once they get the internship and they're in the office and they're on their own and they've gotten to where they need to get to. What tips do you have for students once they're in the internship? All right, that's a good question as well. And um, a couple of thoughts come to mind is, is once you're in the internship, uh, you might have heard this expression, never eat lunch alone. Uh, be socially proactive. Uh, try and invite your colleagues to lunch. Never turn down an invitation for lunch or, you know, happy hour if you're, if you're of age. Um, those are the opportunities where you can build relationships and make the uh, internship just a more welcoming place. The other thing I would suggest students do is have one-on-one -on -one meetings with their supervisor. And some supervisors will be very good about this. If you're in a structured internship program, uh, they'll have that on the calendar already. Uh, but if that's not being scheduled, uh, ask for it. Really, you really should, because it's an opportunity for you to receive feedback on a regular basis, for you to ask questions, for you to brainstorm a little of your ideas. So don't be afraid to ask for one-on-one -on -one time with your supervisor. You're only there for maybe eight to 12 weeks. It's precious time. 
Uh, don't let four or five weeks go without having one-on-one time with your supervisor. Um, and then of course, some of the, some of the basics, but is really important. Show up on time. If you make a mistake, own up to it early. Um, always have solutions ready. If you're encountering problems, uh, they might not be the right solutions, but at least your supervisor will appreciate the fact that you have thought through how you would potentially solve it, uh, so that they don't have to solve it for you. So those are a couple of suggestions, but the number one thing is being socially proactive. And the two things there are try and get one-on-one time with your supervisor and never eat lunch alone. General question. Um, this is back to before you get the internship. I know there's the job fair season right now. There's um, a couple of job fairs going on. How do you suggest SCU undergrads go about the job fairs that are happening on campus? Yeah, thank you for asking that. We had um, our healthcare and life sciences meet up just yesterday with with seven incredible employers, and we had almost eighty students. Uh, come to that, and on February 8th, we have our virtual winter fair uh, where we're going to be having um, close to 40 employers uh, from around the Bay Area, but because it's virtual, also from other regions, which is exciting. And then um, on February 13th, we have our Diversity Works Expo where we have uh, thir- 20 to 30 different employers um, sending their representatives uh, to network with our students. So the Career Center brings um, to campus annually between 350 and 400 unique employers. Uh, So how do you take advantage of that? How do you uh, strategize for that? The, The first suggestion I'll have is just go. A lot of students, I think, get into their head about, well, I'm, I'm not ready for an internship, or I'm not looking for one right now, or um, it's intimidating. Just go. Kind of like the, I think it was um, The Rock who gave some advice about going to the gym. Like, if you want get to in, get into the habit of going to the gym, it doesn't mean you have to work out every day. It means you have to go to the gym every day. And so he's like, just go. Walk around and then leave. If that's all you can do that day, that's okay. But at least you'll have gotten to the habit of going into that space, feeling comfortable in that space. Uh, And the same is true for these employer recruitment events. They are intimidating, especially the large ones like our fall and spring career fairs where we have over a thousand people in the gym. It's loud. It's noisy. There's big lines. um, But you have to just go. And the more you go, the more comfortable you'll be the more familiar faces you'll recognize because a lot of the employers, they repeat, they come to these events over and over and over again because they're trying to build their own name recognition with students. Uh, You'll see the same career center employees and it'll start becoming a more comfortable environment the more you go. So that would be my first suggestion. The second suggestion is spend an hour researching. Because we use Handshake, there's no mystery about who's going to be there You can see all the employers that are going to be at our virtual winter fair when registration opens. You're going to be able to go onto their employer page and see what jobs they're hiring for, what majors they're interested in. So take an hour and just look at all of the different organizations and prioritize five, maybe 10 that you want to meet for sure. And that will make the career fair a lot more manageable. 
uh, or any of these recruitment events a lot more manageable because you're like, I don't have to talk to everyone. I just need to talk to these five people and then I can leave. So those would be my suggestions for, for these big events. Just go and do some research. I love the day one, not one day mentality, right? Yeah. That's a good one. Um, a saying I heard coming in as undergrad, there, there's three things guaranteed as a freshman for your career. Death, taxes, and a crippling anxiety about group interviews. What tips would you give to an undergraduate student for group interviews and how to handle those? Okay, that's that's an interesting question. And um, I actually prefer group interviews to one on one interviews, uh, because I feel like there's actually less pressure on me because I do, I feel like I end up doing less talking in a one on one interview, because there's more people that have to talk. Uh, more people are asking questions and, and sharing their thoughts, ideas. Uh, a couple of things come to mind is one, to the extent you can remember to do this, make eye contact with everyone. It can be easy and kind of comfortable to like focus on the friendliest face, the one that's like giving you encouraging head nods and a little smile and just talk to them. But try and move your eyes around the the group and make eye contact with everyone. Everyone will appreciate it and it will also keep them engaged and paying attention to what you're saying rather than getting distracted and them getting on their phone or they know that you're going around making eye contact with each of them. The second thing I'll say that's really effective in group interviews is is a method I, I developed. I, I put a name to it. It's called Quack. Q-A-Q. Question, answer, question. And so these, these work really well in group interviews because if you can turn the group interview into a discussion, then you've won. You've won the interview rather than just a Q&A, Q&A, Q&A. If you can turn it into a discussion and everyone's free-flowing and ideas are bouncing off and people are the other interviewers are talking to each other and not just to you that's a win because um, you've already kind of acculturated yourself to the team so how does this work if an employer if the interviewer asks you um, Dylan tell me about uh, your three greatest strengths I might say okay I, I'm a great leader here's an example I'm a great communicator here's an example and I'm a great teammate here's an example that's the question, and then the answer, and then what's the question back, is I take the question they gave me, and I, and I send it back to them. I say, from your experience, what do you think are some of the greatest strengths of your top employees here? Now I've asked them a question. And so it's not just them interviewing me, but now we're engaged in discussion. Now, you can't do this every question, because that would be annoying, but you choose a few, two or three questions throughout the interview, ones that you might genuinely be curious about, like what you, what an answer you actually want to know from them. And you throw it back to them. It's called the QAQ method. And oftentimes people really respond well to it because it, they like to share their opinion too. Not just hear you know, not just hear yours. So if you can turn the interview into a discussion and group interviews are where you can best do that, I think with this method. That would be my suggestion. Quack method. I like the name. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. One last thing. I know there's an event coming up that SEU students can attend um, later in the quarter. I think it'd be cool to hear you talk about 
how students should approach um, working at startups. What would you ensure students know when targeting work at a startup, maybe taking more of the entrepreneurial route? All right, that's a good question. And uh, we have a couple members of our team, I'll just shout them out, that um, that tend to work a lot with startups. And that is uh, Andrew Gupton, who's our assistant director of employer relations for STEM and innovation. So uh, startups in, in the uh, in the tech sector, he has relationships with them. And also um, Sunana Gulati-Ru, our assistant director of employer relations for business, um, she also has relationships with a lot of a lot of local startups. So just shouting them out. And um, advice for working at a startup, I think this might be a little commonplace, but worth repeating. At a startup, you're going to wear a lot of hats. Um, so being prepared to be versatile, being prepared to uh, be doing marketing one day, sales the next day, dabbling in a little bit of finance the third day, whatever needs to be done, um, uh, you as a as an intern or entry level employee will probably be doing a wide range of things. The other thing I might uh, point out to students interested in startup culture is that it's demanding, and you're likely not going to be on a regular schedule um, like some weeks you'll work a lot some weeks you'll work even more so that's kind of how startups are because they're they're usually fast growth uh, high demand a lot of iteration so those are a couple of things just to know about working in a startup is that you need to be extremely versatile and you need to recognize from the outset that it could be an extremely demanding environment. The third thing I'll say is, and this is true for any student who's who's an intern or an entry-level employee, but I would say it's particularly true of startups, is do not hesitate to share your opinion and your ideas. The reason, a lot of the reason companies hire interns is um, they want fresh perspectives. They want to find people who are going to be able to give them new and fresh ideas that will help propel the business. Those are the people that they're going to hire. They're going to convert from intern to hire. Nowhere is that more true than a startup. You have to come in with ideas, ready to solve problems, be a thought partner. Um, so if you go into a startup uh, culture, just don't be, don't be shy about sharing your opinion. They likely want to hear it. Thank you, Dylan. I'm going to go ahead and last, ask one final question before we end it off. If you could issue a statement to the country, to all students who aren't in college just yet, about why Santa Clara University is such an amazing place and why they should 100% apply to this university, what would you say to them? All right, that's a great question. Um, a couple of things come to mind. One, we have the best career center in all the land. Um, we have an, we have an excellent team here, a wonderfully diverse team. We care about students, uh, here in the career center and, and all throughout the university. And I think you, you two know that well, um, related to that, I think, um, our Jesuit values is a differentiator. And I say that as someone who's worked at four different institutions now, two private secular, 
Pace University and Menlo College, and two private Catholic, USF, and now Santa Clara University. And all four of them are great schools, but there is a noticeable difference in the mission-driven, values-driven attitude at a Jesuit institution. We have a common language, we have common goals, we have a common understanding of how we would like to treat each other here at this institution, the type of impact we're trying to make in the world. And um, it's exhilarating and uh, exciting to be in community with people who share a vision for the future of the, the world that we live in and to be able to contribute to that. So for example, we just did a career clarity retreat in partnership with campus ministry and our counseling and psychological services. And we got to dive deep into questions about not just career and vocation, but uh, anxiety, uh, spirituality. And those are things that can really only be done at a Jesuit institution uh, in, in the ways that I appreciate. So that, that for me is a, is a differentiator that I really enjoy. Third, we're a beautiful campus. Everyone tells us that. I mean, the landscaping is incredible. Shout out to the, the landscaping and facilities crew. They do a wonderful job. There's so many pa uh, places around campus for peaceful reflection, uh, beautiful modern buildings like the Sobrato Center for Discovery and Innovation. And then fourth, uh, our location, right? But I'll, I'll say this, being in Silicon Valley, a lot of students come to Santa Clara University because of where we are located and they want access to this industry. And we are integrated and we do a, a damn good job of getting Silicon Valley to Santa Clara. But for any students listening, when you come here, you also have to go out into Silicon Valley. You have to take advantage of where we live. Don't wait for SCU to do it for you. Go out there, volunteer, attend events, get up to San Francisco. Um, our, our location is a major part of our value proposition, but you have to also really lean into that and take advantage of the opportunities that exist outside of Santa Clara in this region. So those are a couple of my, my thoughts on that question. Thank you. Gosh, well, this was great. Dylan, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Arturo. Thank you, Armando. And uh, kudos to you on, on reviving the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. Wishing you both the best. Cool. That was a great conversation with Dylan. Uh, we linked it below, so be sure to check out Dylan's podcast. Again, it's titled Career Services Leadership in Higher Education. Thanks again, Broncos, for tuning in. Check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcast, or follow and like the Instagram at Voices of Santa Clara. Check out VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts and some cool little recaps of the episodes. Till then, see you next time, Broncos. Broncos.